It's the Next Level Contractor Podcast, and we are coming at you every Monday at 7 a.m., no bullshit, 30 minutes or less. And we're helping small businesses and construction companies be more profitable with better leads and better systems. And today, I'm here with Nick Leroy, and we are talking about what is important for SEO in 2020. So we're looking ahead. If you want to introduce yourself, Nick. Hey everybody, Nick Leroy here. I'm the director of SEO at ICF Next, and also write a weekly newsletter called the SEO for Lunch. Been doing SEO for about 10 years, helping everybody from some of the largest CPG clients to uh, smaller uh, companies that have one or two employees, you know, looking to figure out the next best way to get their next lead. And I just, you know, you're going to be a humble guy about all this, but can you, for their perspective, because one of the most important things for people to listen is authority, right? We need to demonstrate authority. Can you be like somewhat gratuitous about how badass you are for one second with me? Because ICF Next is huge. Yeah, absolutely. So I've done a lot of enterprise level work, enterprise being clients that are generating, you know, in the tens, twenties, hundreds of millions of dollars in annual revenue and organic performance uh, playing a significant part of that puzzle. Um, for instance, have worked with really large brands such as uh, Betty Crocker, Pillsbury, Maurice's, you know, a lot of well-known Minnesota brands, you know, as well as some larger network schools in the higher education space, such as Wiley Education. And just so you guys know, uh, Nick is extremely respected in the Minneapolis marketing community, uh, helping bring in talks for, for lunch about SES so people's teams can get educated very quickly in what's current on SES. So community service, so to speak, as well as like just well-respected guy. But yeah, Tim, just to build off of that, you know, similar to a lot of people that have been doing SEO for a while, you know, it's really self-taught. You know, there are guides, there are, you know, explanations and podcasts that talk about SEO. So you say you don't have an MBA in SEO? I don't have an MBA what? in SEO. Didn't even go to school for SEO. So there's literally not really a lot of schooling for this. There's not at all. There's a school of hard knocks. And that, that hard knocks is the, is Google's algorithm slapping people around and then you readjusting, it's trying stuff and then failing and then getting better. A lot of failing is probably like a lot of SERs have experienced, you know, what doesn't work, you're trying to do things, as well as we were talking about, it's difficult because it's trying to scale these things out to multiple clients. And these clients, even on the corporate level, it's very hard to hire really awesome experts mm -hmm. specialists internally all the time so as an agency um just kind of before we get into some real nuts and bolts tips for 2020 i just want to kind of like give us your experience with that how what is the most difficult thing about scaling seo to multiple clients absolutely i think the first thing just to address your first comment if you're not failing in your seo efforts it's because you're not pushing hard enough SEO is continuing to change every single day. And in the 10, almost 11 years that I've been doing it, it has definitely got significantly harder. So continue to push your limits, test, and you know make sure you're learning, measure everything that you're doing because that's going to be critical to establishing scale. 
Exactly. Yep. The other thing when we talk about scale, I think it's about finding people that are curious. You know, your nine to fivers that come in can do some good work, definitely add a lot of value. But where you really want is find people that aren't okay with ranking number two or 100. They want and need to be that number one position. They need to capture those leads. So it's finding people that are curious and hungry to figure out, you know, that puzzle of what is the organic, you know, search algorithm. Yeah, absolutely. I think you should always be looking and establishing your benchmarks for success. And once you meet them, you know, continue to jack it up another 20%. Again, it's just this idea of organic is not limited to any particular dollar amount or sessions to your site. So keep pushing, keep growing. There's absolutely no reason to ever, you know, take the gas off the burner. So five big action items uh, for our conversation today are, um, are coming down the chute for the listeners. So we're going to talk through 2020 SEO, 2020 SEO. Your number one for our audience is Google My Business listing. So why is that so important? And what are your kind of top tips for making sure yours is optimized? Yeah, the best part about your Google management listings is that you don't even have to have a website to be able to claim them. So by going through Google's process, setting up your Google My Business, you can start being found for people that are doing searches that are localized to your area and you see the map listings, that does not require having a website. Absolutely. I'm not going to lie. I've done some weird things on Google My Business and that maybe don't scale up to corporate, but that we've done like, let's say very keyword optimized titles. And I see phone calls through that. Like let's say for different cities, and it is weird that it, it still works. Mm-hmm. So I do think Google My Business can be super powerful because it's driven leads for clients when we just like do experimental things and put like, let's say Minneapolis siding contractors or something, it's just hypothetical. <laughs> um, and we see leads coming through that, which is weird. Which to be honest, it was an experiment. I didn't really know right. how it would work and it did. So it's just interesting. Well, it's just exciting because I've talked to a lot of people that are just saying, you know, Nick, Tim, I don't have two, three, five, ten grand to build a beautiful website that's optimized for SEO. So I asked them, so where's your business listing on Google? And they'll say something along the lines of, well, you have to have a website to be able to do that. But that's not true. Like, that's a bunch of BS. That's why you are not winning because you're not pushing those limits. Yeah. Get out there, push it live. And, you know, take actually anything that you can get from Google. And what would you say are some of the things that people should be thinking about? Like, I hear people say, like, yeah, kind of want to you know, put in the description some of the services that you do. Um, what, what are your first steps for a small business trying to optimize that Google My Business listing? Yeah, I would say the first thing that you want to do is you want to have a very complete profile. You know, a lot of times people will set it up. They'll put their name in. They'll put their phone number maybe some business hours, but they won't even bother putting their logo up there or some images. So go through your Google My Business, take it seriously, set it all up, you know, make sure you're filling all your descriptions in, use your legal name entity, sorry Tim, yeah. <laughs> but that's one of the things that you'll want to test into is, you know, there's a lot of talk in the local space about NAP, your name, your address, and your phone number. Why do you say legal entity? Or why do you say sorry to me? I say sorry to you because you said put the Minnesota siding, the keyword that you oh, want to put. Yeah, so normally I would say, no, that's very, no, I normally that's what you want to do for sure. Yeah. So that, this <laughs> is an experimental thing. Yes, absolutely. So name, address, and phone number, we always iterate that to people. Absolutely has to be consistent all over the web. 
unless you get some experiment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, and, and one thing you'll realize too is there's a lot of abbreviations for yeah. companies, and especially if you have multiple locations, which we should be setting up separate my listing pages for each one of those. You want to be consistent with all that information. You know, Question like, for you: If I had an LLC on my company name, you think I should have that because you said legal name entity? Absolutely. Really? So you should be going. Okay, consistent. I would. I I'm going to kind of disagree, and that's okay. I think it's fine. We have. I personally don't think people should be doing that as long as they're consistent all over the way. So, and I think you yeah. nailed it right there. So it depends. You know, yeah. if you're looking at your BBB listing yeah. or how you're phrasing it on your website, be consistent. Yeah. So if you're going to say it wrong in comparison to what your legal entity yeah. is. Because mine is Timby Design LLC. Sure. And our, we're DBA Hook Agency. Right. So like basically I just like as long as Hook Agency is everywhere and it's the one thing that we're consistently known as. Absolutely. So anyways, I, I do think that there's a lot of like we have contractors, roofing companies. A lot of times they have that LLC or something like that in there. And I suggest that they they trim it down to the nuts and bolts of their name and then they just stay very consistent. I, I mean, yep. yeah. Consistency is just key. So just yeah. don't go out and not use your LLC yeah. in your listing, but then when you're working at the Yellow Pages or any directory listings or yeah. any third party, then go about putting your LLC. Absolutely. Yeah, I would say the other thing that really tricks people up is a lot of people are, for smart reasons, using phone tracking. Yeah. So you don't want to necessarily put your phone tracking number in your GMB listing yes. or in your NAP, which yeah. is kind of going the back and forth because yeah. then it makes it difficult to measure your phone calls. But at the same time, when you have conflicting phone numbers, yeah, you know, then you're running into issues where you're giving Google conflicting information. I so I have a, a suggestion on that. This is a little bit advanced, but hey, if you're listening, you've been listening to this podcast for the past ten episodes. It's okay. We're going to level two, <laughs> um, which is we use something called CallRail. CallRail.com. Mm -hmm. The good news is is that we have the same consistent phone number on the site and on the Google My Business and on all of the. NAP listings, the local directory listings that we do all over the, the web um, and for our clients. And basically the HTML version of the site, the original, you know, the, the we essentially have the, the consistent phone number on the site as well. And then after loading JavaScript switches out the phone number. So there's definitely a lot of interesting speculation and different conflicting information from Google on whether they load that JavaScript before they crawl a site. But from what I can tell, definitely switching it out with JavaScript is better than just having it hard coded in the site um, with like a tracking number, for instance. We like CallRail as well, just because it will tell you um, whether that call came from organic, whether it came from paid, whether it came from like a referral traffic or whatever. Um, but there's a lot of awesome tools out there for tracking conversions on phone calls and just making sure that those don't mess up that consistency is what you're saying. Absolutely. And, and I think you really nailed, we talked about at the very beginning, just opening up saying push your limits, yeah. never accept kind of the status quo and leave it there. So I love the idea that you're challenging kind of what is Google going to see when they first get to the site versus what is a user going to see a couple yeah. seconds later. That is a great opportunity of being yeah. able to understand, hey, where was I ranking? What were my leads? you know, pre-doing this, yeah. and then what was it doing for the next couple weeks, months afterwards, 
and you can definitively see, mm-hmm. you know, hey, did that have an impact or not? And then you yeah. can make the business decision of whether you continue or not. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like ultimately there are small businesses that shouldn't use call track tracking. For instance, we have a roofer out of lacrosse that they have TV commercials and radio commercials and trucks that all have one number on it. And we, you know, sometimes it's not all data. Sometimes it's listening to the little old lady that gives you a phone call and says, I didn't know whether this was your real number because I was confused. Right. That's a relevant piece of information. If you're, if you believe that it's going to confuse your ideal customers, then maybe it's, it's not worth having perfect attribution every single time. Good point. And you never can really substitute for just asking the question, how did you hear about us? Like your customers are going to tell you how they heard you. If they say, Hey, I saw you on Google, like good, make a note of it and just be aware. Is your data and analytics or Colorado going to be absolutely perfect? No. But are you going to get business? Yes. And that's ultimately what matters most. And like even up to potentially if you have like a post lead questionnaire or something like that, if you have another filtering mechanism or like a new client uh, document or anything like that, putting that in there saying what, you know, if Google, what did you Google? Mm -hmm. Like asking for that, it's another way to grab information super useful and then you kind of start to know where you should double down on your efforts if if everyone's googling if your site's optimized for web design and everyone's googling website design Mm -hmm. or you know those types of things web web development and you're actually getting a lot of things or like if you're you know you think all of them are coming because of insurance whatever it happens to be um trying to give a good example for contractors but basically the idea is Getting more information on a follow-up questionnaire is a lovely way to do that and really figuring out what keywords are working, what keywords are leading to leads. So that leads us to your second uh, your second point here. Let's jump into a quick 202 okay. suggestion. Yep. Yep. So this is gonna be my advance you know, yep. recommendation for GMP listing. Absolutely, so if you really do love your Google Analytics and you are like me and you sit there and stare at it all day long and try to understand what the narrative is behind that, you'll quickly notice that you can't distinguish the leads to your site, I'm sorry, the sessions to your site coming from your GMB listing versus your regular organic Mm, listing. Yeah. So one thing that we do work and recommend with is actually using what's called a UTM parameter. It's a little bit more advanced But what you can then do is you're almost tricking your Google Analytics into deciphering what traffic is coming from, you know, the listings on the page that are your traditional organic listings versus the actual maps listing. That's good. So then you add that UTM code to the one that you put in your Google Maps. Absolutely. Love that. That's awesome. That's a very smart one. I can definitely implement that one. Proper keyword research for 2020. So you say localize. I saw a... uh, a stat recently is like 30% of, I think it was 30% plus of searches on Google include a city name. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. That's kind of crazy. More. Is it though? It's, I mean, it feels crazy it. to me. It I mean, feels crazy. But to be honest, I can't pull myself out of SEO mode because I literally like <laughs> Google myself every morning. That's weird. Well, <laughs> I no, Google I, like I've five things. Yeah. Hey, I rank number one for my name now yeah. versus a Perfect. doctor that I'm, I'm like on page five, while. so one day. <laughs> exactly. Hey, you know what? Yeah. Dreams, right? Keep yeah. pushing the limits. Exactly. But think I got to rank above the Raiders guy. There you go. Yeah, yeah exactly. The Raiders Tim Brown. So <laughs> and uh, uh, IDEO. 
IDEO, which is a, a very large company. So got a little ways to go. A little bit of competition, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, exactly. keep challenging. Yeah, exactly. Cool. But the best example that I like to always give is back in the day, if you were to type into Google like pizza, you know, you're typing it in there realistically because you're hungry and you want somebody to bring you a nice cheesy pizza, right? Yeah. And you know, when I say back in the day, I'm even saying two, three, four, five years ago, if I typed in pizza, I would be getting this listing from New York and Chicago and all these other places that really specialize in pizza. I'd love to say Minneapolis is one of them, but the reality is it's yeah. not. Nowadays, you type in pizza and Google's getting pretty good in there. They're creating results that are super specific to your locale. Mm -hmm. Meaning that if I type in pizza from Tim's office here, like we should hopefully be getting black sheep pizza yeah. or any of these other pizza places across the street. Yeah. However, that's still not always the case. So if somebody is looking for a construction partner or somebody to do a project and they want to just make sure that they're getting one in the right area, say you work in Minneapolis, but you live in Woodbury like me, you know, you may go through and type in, you know, construction contractor Woodbury. You know, that's giving me an extra qualified result. However, and I will, this is complimentary to you, mm -hmm. not, this one is not a disagreement. It's looking for what has the most volume. So unfortunately with, with suburbs, if you're mm -hmm. near a big city, it's a giant advantage to go after, especially with your biggest pages on your website, if you are a local service provider, to go after these, these uh, larger cities mm -hmm. with the key, the key pages on your site if you're a local service provider. So and assuming you provide services. Yes, to you have to provide services. <laughs> it's weird to try to rank for <laughs> Chicago if you actually are cloistered off in a suburb. So you have Seen to people do it before. Yes, which is weird. Yes, it's you're right. Weird. Exactly. And I've I've experienced that with, with service providers. They're like, whoa, I can't I don't really want to go over to the eastern side of Minneapolis as like, well we've been targeting Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. Um, and if you're, if you serve, let's say the entirety of that city, you have a major advantage because then you can really focus on ranking for something with a lot more searches. And unfortunately, most suburbs, and I'm not saying all, um, just have a lower amount of people searching. It's, it's just absolutely related to the volume of people in that area and understanding that ultimately there is a major advantage to trying to rank for larger cities if you service them. Absolutely. I think instead of it being looked at as an argument, I think complimentary to what yeah. you're just saying is a lot of times when you're talking to like SEO professionals or anybody who's leveraging SEO tools that'll give yeah. you set values yeah. for your keywords, you know, when you type in uh, web design Minneapolis, it's going to come back with several hundred visits per month and you're able to say, hey, I'm interested in that. Yeah. You know, the data sure. kind of proves that. Yeah. But if you type in web design, you know, Edina, it's probably gonna give you a big fat zero. Now, the reality yeah. though is there are people and businesses yeah. that are located in Edina. So don't necessarily limit your keyword research to what Google is telling you is, yeah. you know, good or bad. Or and just scale down the amount of effort that you place on those ones because Absolutely. it's also easier to rank for them. Absolutely. So like ultimately, if there was a something with, let's say, just 100 keyword volume, um, and we use tools like AREFs, SEMrush, what, are there any other big ones that you use? Yep, those are the two main ones. Keywords Everest, everywhere. Keywords everywhere. Um, Google's Keyword Planner to a lesser extent. These types of tools allow you to very, very quickly see the demand. Absolutely. And I always call it just like demand identification. 
You wouldn't start do a startup without knowing that people really wanted that thing or like could want that thing, right? So this is just the smallest example of that. It's like before you do a new page on your website, do some analysis around is there demand. Also, anecdotal analysis is useful. Mm-hmm. So understand like if, that's why these people on uh, Shark Tank when they have very intimate knowledge with a a particular niche. They trust them a little bit more. They're like, you understand gymnastics. So you know that they'd want this weird full body gymnastics suit or whatever it happens to be, right? Now, for the same for you, if you know in that area, people, like for instance, this is very hard to scale. And that's why I like with service providers to play small ball. Mm -hmm. Because ultimately, you know that Lake Minnetonka in Minnesota actually has quite a few people thinking about living on Lake Minnetonka. And they got money. If you if you watch the <laughs> Prince movie Purple Rain, so that they can cleanse themselves in the waters of Lake Minnetonka, and the but basically you know anecdotally you know just from kind of understanding your area that people are looking for that. So just because the keyword tool doesn't say it perfectly, you can use your mind. Absolutely. But I mean, like people like us have kind of like we've trained our minds to such extent that like we kind of can off the cuff just know what's going on, but you know more about your area than anybody. So it's kind of using that, and even if you're working with an SEO company, using that intimate knowledge of your location and the surrounding areas to kind of say, all right, I know that there's not a lot of keyword for Chestnut Hill or whatever it happens to be, but there is a pretty big community here and a lot of them are looking for high-end homes. So just know that and you kind of give that information to your SEO company and they can be a little bit more strategic and use that information. And Tim, would you argue or agree that the quality of that traffic is definitely going to be more important than just the sheer volume? Well, yes. And there's just less people going after it exactly. too, right? So like you get like this, if you really care about that community, like there's like, I don't do SEO for realtors anymore, but I was talking to there, realtors can do SEO for themselves and do small ball, mm-hmm. like, cause they can really do this intimate, you know, if you can, if you can service that intent, you know, we talk a lot about like, what's the intent of that search? Can you really give them what they're looking for? Cause if you can, and you're much more likely to, if you have an intimate knowledge of that area, then you're much, you can seriously delight that visitor and you're more likely to convert it for sure. Absolutely. And quick fun story. So my father-in-law was an electrician. I say was as in he just recently retired. So we had to shut down his website. Not good for SEO. Don't <laughs> do that. Um, but he Some was- that domain, by the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, some, sometimes what you want to do is just understand where do you want to service? You know, what kind of leads are you actively turning down? Mm-hmm. For him, like he was based in the St. Paul Metro. And he really did not like working in Minneapolis. You know, it just wasn't his jam. Yeah. So he implicitly told me like, hey, if I get leads from Minneapolis, I'm not gonna take them. Yeah. I would much rather work in Cottage Grove yeah. or you know, somewhere on the Eastern Metro. So I literally optimized his site to be able to support that. Yeah. His traffic did drop, unfortunately, but yeah. he told me, you know, he was still getting a similar amount of leads, yeah. but everyone was gold because yeah. it was what his preference was in a location that he was, which meant he was willing and able to be more flexible for his customers. And that that is a scary transition, I'm sure, a little bit. It like was. I, and I love that story, man. That is great. That is gonna resonate with people listening, I think. 
Um, you have on-page optimization here. I think this relates to targeted keywords. Once you figure out what those keywords are, what do we need to do? So you nailed it right there. We have to define what our keywords are, and then we need to make sure that they're incorporated within the website. And this is everything from behind the scenes in the code to the content that you, the search engines, and your future customers are reading. Like even if you name an image with the keyword in it, and you use dashes in between the keywords, Google can read that. That's low-hanging fruit that a lot of people are not doing. So what is changing about this for 2020 though? Is there any like suggestions you have, like the shift, what's happening? I know it doesn't change as mm -hmm. fast as some people think, but sometimes it, it changes kind of quick. Like if you've had a ranking drop or something going on, um, what can people kind of expect from Google going forward? What is shifting? What is you know, recent update, there's BERT, and then there was another November update. What is happening right now in the search results? Why, why, is, why is, do things seem a little volatile to people? Yeah, we have to remember that while Google is a machine, like their goal is to make that machine smarter than us, the people yeah. that are actually using it. So there's a lot of talk about how they're integrating what's called natural language processing. And what they're doing is they're using it as a lens to be able to kind of grade and look at the content that you're using on your site. You know, back in the day, someone like Tim or myself, we might just put what we would kind of refer to as fluffy content for the sake of putting words on the page. And that used to rank really well. All right, so we're getting to the end of the podcast. So let's combine the fourth and the fifth one for, for the listeners. Absolutely, so we wanna talk about both a mobile friendly website and the site speed, so the performance of your site. For those that aren't familiar, Google is actually transitioning to what's called a mobile first index. And what that means is they're grading and deciding how you rank exclusively on how your site looks through a mobile device. So first and foremost, Tim, if you don't have a mobile site, we need to fix that. We're going into 2020, people are using their phones more than ever. You have to have a mobile first site. Site speed, so the faster the better. Not only for Google, so despite the fact that it is an actual ranking component, we need to think about this from the user's perspective first. So Tim, think about it, if people go to the Hook website yeah. and it loads in 12 seconds, how often do you think people are gonna actually wait for that site to load? I don't wait, I wait like seven seconds and then literally if it's lower than that, I literally think that the information is probably gonna be wrong. Because I just don't respect people with, like, I don't know if anyone is also this intense, but I literally, if they, if they have a slow website, I think of them as a low, like, they don't, they don't seem professional. So I probably shouldn't. They're not prioritizing. Yeah. Yeah. And the fact that you said seven seconds is yeah. pretty impressive. Yeah. So what Google's actually coming out and saying is with kind of their ranking algorithm, as well as what they expect for users, they want to see your desktop site load in less than three seconds. And you know what's really scary, guys? They wanna see your, mo or, yeah, your mobile version in less than one second. They wanna but that's, do that's hard to hit. So I just wanna like scale that back a little bit and say like our internal, the way we think about it is like two seconds is a pretty good one. And I use something called uh, Pingdom, mm -hmm. P-I-N-G-D-O-M, Pingdom Site Speed. And then essentially, I, we really want to get under that two-second mark. So that's kind of like my benchmark for like if we've speed-optimized client sites. Absolutely. And Tim, I'm sure your team yeah. does the same thing. But you know, we kind of chuckle on my team about this. You know, sub one second. It's like yeah. sure that's yeah. great, but you're not going to have beautiful images unless you're Nick Leroy. You're not ever <laughs> going to hit sub one second speed. And you know what? Realistically, you're going to be compromising a lot of things. That was a conversation yeah. Tim and I had about my own personal site. I read. Yeah. 
you know, a case study about redesigning my site removed a lot of what was neat functionality yeah, yeah. in exchange for site speed. And it was really it was an cool. experiment, right? It was a great experiment. And I think like ultimately that's what you need to know is like as SEOs, that is, it is a very important thing as, as small business owners, if your site takes more than five seconds, I think you're, you probably could see some rankings increases for real from spending some time and effort making it quick. You're so right. Yeah. And I think like, I, I want to just kind of give the people a, an opportunity to find you online. So where, where can they find you and what, what's the next step if they wanted to connect? Yeah. Thanks, Tim. Again, I am the author of the SEO for lunch newsletter. If you go to nickleroy.com or just type into Google SEO for lunch, you'll find my newsletter. The best part of it is it's a really easy to consume email it takes less than like 10 minutes. And I'll even prioritize which ones you should read. And I'll even kind of give you what's called the next take version of them. So if you don't want to click out to them, you already know what the, the story is about. And I don't even know how he monetizes this thing. So it's like just pure value. It's like it's personal brand. So ultimately it's a really good one. I make our employees uh, sign up for it and stuff like that. So if you have one SEO newsletter, just one, this would be the one. So sign up for his newsletter. And uh, of course, just can you spell out your name and, and say the dot com one more time for the people? Absolutely. Nick Leroy, N-I-C-K-L-E-R-O-Y.com. So sign up there. Where on social media can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at, at Nick Leroy. And you can also find me at LinkedIn at Nick Leroy SEO. And thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. It's the Next Level Contractor Podcast. We're coming at you every Monday at 7 a.m. with no bullshit in 30 minutes or less, helping small businesses and contractors be more profitable with better leads and better systems. It has been a pleasure. Thank Thanks, you so man. much, man. Appreciate it. It's a Hook Agency, hookagency.com, Hook Agency all over social media. And join us next week.